Well, good morning. My name's Lindsay. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really lovely to add my welcome this morning. A special welcome to those who are guests here. It's lovely to have so many of you. I'm going to be taking us through our passage, and we're in the middle of, at the moment, here in, um, in the morning services. Uh, we're doing a series going through the Gospel of Mark, and today, as you've just heard, we heard uh, the story of the rich young man. And... Um, if you want to, actually, if you want to get a Bible, there are some at the back on my right, your left in the corner. Sometimes it's quite nice to have the passage in front of us as we go through. I don't know if you've heard the story of the young man who on Valentine's Day texted his sweetheart and said, my darling, my darling, I love you, I love you. I'd do anything for you. I'd go through fire and rain and water just to be with you. P.S. Meet you at eight at the bus stop unless it's raining. It's often easier, isn't it, to say that something is important to us than it actually is to live it out with our actions. And it's not that we don't think we mean it when we say it. We do. We really do. It's just that putting your money where your mouth is isn't always that easy, as the young man in our passage found out. Here he was, a respectable and respectful young Jewish man. He wants to make sure all his boxes are ticked in terms of his future. So spotting Jesus walking, walking by one day, he rushes up to him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It kind of seems like he's looking for reassurance that the good life that he's led will safely take him into eternal life. I don't know about you, but as I read this story, I imagine a smartly dressed kind of guy, um, eager to do the right thing, kind of have all his ducks in a row, um, maybe a little bit anxious and uptight. I don't know, perhaps I'm being unfair, am I? I don't know. But he certainly seems earnest in his quest. Uh, but as we know, he is kind of missing the point because he thinks that he can earn his salvation. And as we know, in fact, salvation is simply a gift from God. Jesus knows that. And he seems a little bit irritated with him. And he kind of quickly reminds him, doesn't he, of the Ten Commandments. But he almost seems to be kind of trying to get him off his back. And, um, you know, oh, you know, you've read the commandments, he says, and he kind of lists them. But the young man isn't satisfied, is he? I've done all that, he says. Maybe he's hoping that Jesus will tell him something else that he needs to do to get eternal life. Or maybe he's just kind of wanting to reassure himself that he is actually on track and, you know, that eternal life is coming his way. And it's interesting because at this point, Jesus' heart seems to change. Verse 21 says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's as though Jesus kind of looked at him in a different way, through a different lens, maybe through God's eyes rather than through his own eyes. And maybe when he does that, God reveals something about the man. He reveals this man's heart. It's a little bit like, you remember um, the story of the woman at the well, when Jesus sees into her life and God reveals to Jesus what kind of life that woman is living. Well, I think it's a little bit the same here. Jesus sees differently. And I think, you know, we can all do that, can't we? We can look 
in one way, and we can see one thing when we look at a person. And then we can look through God's eyes, and we can see something entirely different. And often it's at that point that we start to care. Actually, it sometimes happens to me. I don't know about you, whether you relate to this, but I sometimes I might be in the supermarket queue, and um, I'm, you know, I get to the checkout, and I'm packing my things. I may be a little bit irritated because the, the checkout person is taking quite a long time, you know, putting it through. And I think, oh, come on, you know, I'm in a hurry. That's me looking through my eyes. And then sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit prompts me. And I think, okay, Lord, what do you want to happen here? What, you know, what's your agenda here? And I'll find myself seeing the person through his eyes. And I'll maybe be different, I'll slow down, I'll ask the Lord what he wants me to say. And often at that point, the conversation will go to an entirely different level. And it's almost as though, because I've seen that person through God's eyes, I've started to care, I've started to love, and it's all very different. It can maybe happen in the bank queue, it can happen, you know, it can happen to you in the office, it can happen to us anywhere, in fact if we allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to change the way we see someone so that we see through God's eyes. So Jesus changes here and he begins to love, he begins to care. And because of that, he doesn't want to just reassure this young man. Actually, he wants this man to know exactly what he needs to do if he's going to have eternal life. Because Jesus loves him, He's prepared to challenge him. And this is what he says. One thing you lack, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. And I just asked myself, how willing are we to challenge when it would maybe be easier to reassure? We like to reassure, don't we? It makes us feel good. But are we willing when necessary to challenge. Jesus challenges this man's wealth. He knows that that wealth will be a significant barrier to a life surrendered to him, to a life committed to Jesus. So he challenges him. And sadly, the man doesn't seem to feel able to enter eternal life on Jesus' terms. And he goes off, doesn't he? Probably in search of something maybe a little bit more acceptable, a little bit more palatable for him at the place where he's at. But Jesus won't compromise. He simply says to the disciples that the rich will have a hard time getting into the kingdom. He's clear throughout scripture about his views on money. You know, we know lots of places, don't we, where Jesus has talked about not storing up treasure on earth, you know, store up treasure in heaven, um, you know, that the, the rich fool who had built bigger barns so he could store his stuff. And Jesus said, don't do that. You know, don't, don't store up stuff. You know, you'll, you'll lose your life unless you're rich towards God. So we know Jesus' views on money, and he, he does seem to see possessions as a bit of an obstacle to giving oneself wholly to God. And he says here, the best thing to do is to sell it all and give the money to the poor. The disciples are shocked at this. We probably all are, aren't we? I mean, who of us honestly wouldn't really like to have a little bit more? 
We know that money doesn't buy happiness, but sometimes it would be quite nice to have a chance to see for ourselves, wouldn't it? If we're honest, if we're honest, you know, we think we would like to have more. So Jesus repeats himself to hammer his point home. It's impossible to be ruled by both God and money. It's easier, in fact, for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for the rich to come under God's rule and reign. Imagine, imagine how difficult it is. Well, at this, the disciples are even more shocked, and and they seem actually a little bit deflated. Who then can be saved, they say? Who can be saved? And Jesus at that point tells them that salvation isn't made possible by man, but by God, with whom all things are possible. And you know, when Peter says to him, well, you know, we have given up everything to follow you, he affirms him, and he, he affirms everyone. And he says, you know, all those who have given up everything for me will reap their reward, both now and in eternity. It's a really hard passage, this, isn't it? Because we live in a country where basically our life revolves around our stuff, doesn't it? It does. Lots of us live in nice homes full of nice furniture. We have drawers full of nice clothes and cupboards full of nice shoes, lots of which perhaps, you know, some of which we don't need. Um, And it's really, you know, I totally include myself in this. You know, I'm right in it. Um, But it's kind of difficult for us to imagine life any other way, isn't it? That's just how it is. Um, it's hard to imagine another way, unless, of course, you get the chance that I had and a, a team from here to go to Maasai land, which we did um, back in October. We went to Kenya. And we actually saw people being extremely happy and living in a very, very different way in mud huts, you know, cooking on a fire and just very, very different. Um, but it's hard for us because this is where we live. This is where we place, we're placed. And I think it's, it's very difficult. But I want to say, let's not be tempted to try to make it more palatable, this teaching of Jesus. Or to try to explain it away and kind of say, well, thank goodness I'm not rich, so it doesn't affect me. Because actually, we know that we are rich. We're in the top tiny, tiny percent in the world. of you know, We're the richest people here in this country. So let's not try and say that. And let's not try and say, you know, well, I'm actually not bothered about money, so this doesn't really affect me. Because I think it does affect everyone. And I think if we're wholehearted in our walk with God, we will want to kind of tackle this and try and find out what Jesus is saying and how it applies to us. So let's have a little go in just the last few minutes. What was Jesus not saying? I don't think he was saying, don't have possessions. I really don't think he was saying that. He was amongst people who had possessions. And, you know, even Zacchaeus, who, um, you know, who, who met Jesus, you'll remember, he didn't have to give away all his possessions before he could become a follower of Jesus, did he? He didn't. So I don't think Jesus is saying, don't have possessions. What is he saying? I think the main thing he's saying is that the more you have, the harder it will be to surrender everything to Jesus, to live a fully 
surrendered life. And I guess that makes sense because the more you have, the more you have to let go of. The more there is to lose, the more there, the more there is at stake. So it's kind of not rocket science, is it? I think Jesus was probably highlighting the dangers of having lots of stuff, even when you think you're not affected by it. He was saying, be aware of the impact on your life of having a lot of stuff, because without realizing it, you'll probably find yourself wanting more and more, and it can mess up your your perspective, and it can mess up your spiritual life in ways that actually you probably wouldn't choose for it to do. It can fool you into a place where you, where you want God to be first and you think he is, but actually other things have kind of become more important. And I think he was also saying that, you know, actually if you can't keep a check on, on these things on, and how possessions affect you, then in the end it's probably better not to have them and to get rid of them. And, you know, I think this makes so much sense because I have known in my life that feeling of wanting more and more um, different times, and I've, and I've kind of recognized it as well at those times and what it's done to me. And I just want to kind of give you a couple of examples. I remember when I was first a student, and um, I went off to, to college, and I had more money in my pocket than I'd ever had. You know, we had a, a grant, and my parents made it up, and... Um, I, had, I, had, I couldn't believe it. I had all this money that I could just spend, and I did. And I bought and bought. I would go into Oxford every Saturday, and um, I would buy things. I would buy clothes, mostly clothes, every week. And I just, yeah, more and more and more. And um, when I bought one thing, I thought, oh, what shall I buy next? What do I now need? What do I need to buy now? You know, just to go with that and that and that that I bought last week. And um, after a while, I thought, whatever am I doing? I'm getting hooked on this, I thought. I'm getting hooked, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the feeling. And I had to stop myself. And once I'd stopped myself, believe it or not, I stopped. It was as easy as that. I decided to stop, and I stopped. And somehow, the kind of power of the desire for more got weakened. And I forgot all about buying things for a while. And it just wasn't an issue anymore. It was quite amazing. Honestly, it was. Maybe the most memorable time for me, though, was when Mark and I were applying to go into full-time ministry in the Church of England. And um, we felt called to ministry soon after we got engaged, actually. Well, he kind of dropped it into the conversation after I promised to marry him. And um, so, actually, I think, I, you know, I, I felt the call too. We, we've always said we were called together. And um, so we began the process of application. And it took a very, very long time. Um, it, there were lots of hoops to jump through, as there quite rightly are, actually, for getting into, a, you know, in, uh, into the ministry. Um, and at one point, I have to say, it seemed like it actually wasn't going to happen. But we persevered and persevered. And eventually, after his second selection conference, so not the first one, but the second one, and this was about two or three years later, further on, he was recommended for training. And you would think, wouldn't you, that we were absolutely euphoric after trying for so long to get accepted for training. But by then, two or three years later, 
Mark had a different job with a much higher salary, a very, very nice company car, <coughs> and quite a bit more status. And if I'm really honest, the whole kind of idea of you know, living a life in a vicarage and leading a church had kind of slightly lost its appeal by then. And we just thought, well, you know, maybe you know, this is a bit better than what we had before. And so we started to talk ourselves out of it. Oh, we could defer, we said. Let's defer. Or let's just wait a couple more years until we've saved up a bit more money and we could have this and this, and then we'll be ready to go into ministry. And his boss, besides, was dangling all sorts of carrots in front of him, saying, oh, you know, you, you know you'll, you're on track for this. You know, you'll be having a much higher salary. You can have a much nicer car. Think of the house you'd be able to buy. More promotion. <clears throat> it was all very enticing. And I have to say, it was an absolute tug of war. And we nearly didn't do it. And when I think of it now, imagine what we would have been giving up. A wonderful life leading this church. The satisfaction of making a difference in people's lives so much. And you know, I know that full-time ministry isn't for everybody. It's really not. But it was for us. That was what God was calling us into. And we nearly let the whole thing go because of the enticement of the, the trappings of what was, bit, what was tempting us. We made our decision, though. And we went for it, obviously. The rest is history. And you know, the moment we had made that decision, we had total, utter peace. That seductive power of the car and the money and the promotion and all of that was completely gone. And we have never, ever looked back. I can honestly say that we've never looked back. I'm actually horrified to think that we ever questioned that call and thought that you know some of these things would have been better. Um, because God has provided for our every need and more, way, way more than we would have ever imagined. And, you know, and honestly, I can say that when there have been lean times, those have been the times when we've leant into God and we've known the joy of that relationship with him in probably a greater, deeper way than in the times when things are a little bit more fruitful and easy. So that's, that's our story. And, um, and I just, you know, out of that, I just want to say, you know, let's just keep a check on our stuff. Let's keep a check because it will affect our Christian walk. It will affect what we do and how we live. My friend fasts from buying clothes on a regular basis. Sometimes I'll meet up for coffee with her and she'll say to me, actually, I'm not buying anything for three months because I've decided, you know, I've got enough and I need to stop. And she does that because she knows that she loves to buy clothes and sometimes it starts to get a grip on her. So she stops. She just decides not to. So for, for, for everyone, it's something different, isn't it? For you, it might not be clothes, but there'll be something, something that kind of threatens at times to become more important than your walk with God. So that's just the first thing. And then the second thing I think that Jesus is saying, and this is very brief, but I think he's saying, actually, and he's saying this more through his actions, really, than through his words. I think he's saying that our role, actually, is not to judge other people, but it's rather to love them. Oh, that's very nice to see all those children coming through the church <laughs> on their way back. Come and find your mums and dads, children. We've got just a few more minutes, I think. 
So I think Jesus is saying through his actions that our role isn't to judge people. It's actually to love them. He loved that young man and he gave him possibilities because of that, didn't he? And I want to ask, will we love people? Will we take the time to stop and allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us? Allow the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts so that we can love and we can care. And then we can help people by maybe challenging them, by maybe just explaining to them how they can find life in all its fullness, how they can be a Christian, how they can find their way into the kingdom and have all the benefits of that faith that you also have. You know, I think in our culture, people have everything to live with, but little to live for. I think in a sense, many people lack nothing. That's not everyone. Hear me on that. But many people lack nothing. But in another sense, they lack everything. Don't they? I think they do. And I want to say, are we willing to show others by what we say and what we do, are we willing to show them what it means to trust God and to give up that quest kind of for our own security but to put our trust in him and to know the most amazing blessings of a life surrendered to Jesus and committed to him. So a tough passage today, a tough passage, but I think if we're willing to to read it and listen to what it tells us, we'll find life, we'll find freedom, we'll find satisfaction, we'll find true joy. And we won't just find it for ourselves, but others also will find it through us.